Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn about keyword research, how to do it right, where it comes from, where all of this data comes from, and hopefully as well, why it's so important in your business and why it's not just about SEO, it's also about reading people's minds. Uh, so my guest today is the CMO and the head of product strategy at Href, which is, in my opinion, one of probably the best SEO tool in the market right now. And I, I am not paid to say that. I've tried a few and I can tell you that this Href is probably the best uh, right now then we'll never know in the next few years. Anyway, my guest with seven years of, of experience in SEO and digital marketing uh, has been sharing a lot of super interesting studies on, on the HF blogs. I've been following that for a while as well. And he also runs a very successful YouTube channel for HF, which has more than 1 million views at this stage. And I think we're more than that right now. So as you can see, my guest knows a thing or two about SEO, a thing or two about growing businesses and growing an audience. So I'm very happy to have uh, you on board, uh, Team Solo. Thanks a lot for inviting me. So let's take a step back because we can talk about SEO and tactical stuff all day long, right? And keyword research. But let's take a step back and understand why is it so important in the context of growing a business and understanding customers? Okay, keyword research, because I think uh, keyword research is where SEO actually starts. Because if you moving your business online or if you want to create some kind of new business online, there are two ways to reach customers. First is get on their radar by what Seth Godin calls uh, interruption marketing. It is when you display them all sorts of banners, uh, pre-rolls when they're watching YouTube videos and all that stuff. Or uh, permission marketing. This is when they give you uh, their permission to, to kind of talk to them, to communicate with them. And this is usually done uh, when they are searching for something. So people have all sorts of problems uh, and they usually use the search engines, uh, mostly Google, to find solutions to their problems, concerns, issues, and whatever. And you have a chance of being the, the search result that they will click uh, and that they will use to get some advice. And if uh, your business, your, your tool, your service, your product uh, can help them with whatever issue they have, and if they think that they are like, willing to spend money, you got yourself a customer. So keyword research is all about knowing what people search for and kind of uh, being able to estimate what kind of search demand there is uh, for whatever you have. So uh, if your product is not something that you can only promote via interruption marketing, like uh, ads, pre-rolls and stuff, if your product is something that uh, people are actively searching for, if they have certain problem and, and they search for it, uh, you might want to know uh, what they are searching for uh, and create a website around these searches so that you will get all the traffic to you. But I thought SEO was dead. <laughs> yeah, probably. I wish more people would think so. It will be so much easier for all the others who don't think so. Yeah, it, it, it's a fascinating topic. And, and uh, in my opinion, this is, the, this is really the closest we can go to, we can get to reading people's minds. When you talk to people face to face and ask them about their problems, you know, we like to sugarcoat stuff. We are not going to be very honest with ourselves and with others. While when you are on your own in front of your computer or mobile phone, there's a lot of things you admit about the concerns you have, the problems you have, the type of articles you read that you wouldn't admit doing like market research and all of that. And it's such a powerful tool. It's just absolutely amazing as well as a bit creepy when you think about the power that it has, right? So. <laughs> 
this is why today what we're going to try to do is do it the non-aggressive, non-sleazy way and truly identify problems, concerns, and answer that in the right way for people without being sleazy. So let's take a step back. So I'm pretty sure most of the listeners have tried Href or Moz or other SEO tools out there, or at least and try to understand, okay, what type of keyword should we, should we rank for? But I'm curious to know, uh, from the perspective of Href, like, where is this data even coming from? Like, how do you, how are you able to know what people are searching for? Yeah, so there are uh, two sources for this data. The first source, and it was the, the only source uh, up until, I think, two years ago or something, uh, and it was Google AdWords. So Google has this platform where you can uh, buy uh, ads for specific keywords. So if you want your ad to pop up whenever uh, people are searching for, I don't know, cute kittens, you want to see your uh, paid ad there, uh, you have a tool called AdWords. And within the AdWords, you you were able to, and you are able to do some keyword research to find the search queries that you want to pay money for to advertise like whatever you have. So this was, uh, for a very long time, this was the only source of this data. And basically, Google was showing the actual searches that happen uh, within their platform that people are putting into Google, and uh, it was letting people research them. So like a lot of uh, SEO tools were simply, I don't know, scraping this data because I don't think, uh, correct, maybe someone will later correct me on Twitter if I'm wrong, but I don't think that uh, Google ever, ever gave API to their like keyword data so that people could pull search queries via API and not just by using the web interface of uh, AdWords tool. So yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of different tools were scraping AdWords to to get a lot of keyword data uh, because AdWords is targeted uh, at advertisers and they they are not interested to show you kind of the depth and breadth of uh, real search queries that people are putting into Google. And they try to kind of ge generalize stuff. They, they try to group search queries together so that it would be easier for advertisers to pick the keywords that they want to go for. But for SEO people, they want some granularity. They want to know the actual search queries. They want to know the variety of the search queries. So there's uh, also a second source of keyword data that, that appeared not too long ago, and it is called Clickstream. Mm -hmm. Basically, Clickstream data is data that is being collected by all sorts of applications, mostly free, that you install on your computer, in your browser. Uh, and when you agree to the terms of service, they say that they will collect anonymized, and this is a very important word, anonymized uh, data on what you're doing online, and they have the right to resell it to other companies. So you don't have to worry about these things because, like I said, like I said, they are anonymized. Uh, if anyone would, would collect kind of personalized data, uh, someone will notice it, and there will there will be a great scandal with this company. So everyone is playing safe game uh, and making this stuff anonymized. And so basically, there are some companies that buy this data from like everyone they can buy it from to aggregate it in one single place. Because, for example, if you went, if you have uh, only a single plugin for Chrome, and like uh, this plugin is being used by one million people, that's only like a little bit of uh, the whole internet popularity. So you cannot collect a lot of data from just one million people, you need more. This is why those uh, Clickstream data providers, they try to uh, buy Clickstream data from all the sources they can, and then they resell it to other companies like HFs. So we're, we're not collecting this data ourselves. We, we do have, for example, our own plugin for Chrome, but we don't collect data because we don't have enough users. Uh, if we had like, I don't know, maybe 10 million people using our toolbar, maybe we would start uh, uh, 
collecting data, but like it just doesn't make sense for us. But yeah, we buy clickstream data from those who aggregate it and we use it to create a database of search queries that people are putting uh, into Google and that all those various applications and softwares are kind of tracking. Hope that makes sense. <laughs> it, it does. I actually heard of Clickstream before, but I had no clue that's actually the way it worked. So it's simply anonymized data from search queries, like what people are actually searching for, clicking on, and that's being resold to, to you guys. And you also use, so you use the two main sources, right? You use this source and, and the one from Google directly, right? Yeah, but, but the Google, like I said, Google doesn't give like API. So basically to collect this data, you need to scrape them. Uh, which is as far as I know against their terms of service. So we're not scraping them and uh, our database of uh, uh, Google search queries is not like updated very often because we also, as far as I know, I may be wrong, so like don't take my word for it. But as far as I know, we also buy it from third parties. But clickstream data, because like there's no no kind of harm in uh, collecting it, we're not breaking anyone like terms of service. We update it every single month. So every month we buy uh, a new package of like huge package of clickstream data and we update our keyword database uh, with new search queries so whenever some trend appeared appears like i think it was last year pokemon go we were able to pick it up pretty much the next month where, where when we purchased the data and other tools were lacking behind because they don't update their databases this often so clickstream has a lot of advantages uh, over trying to scrape google adwords but it is like it is also super expensive so i see a lot of people saying that why don't you just use free tools? They have enough data. I'm afraid there is no way for free tools to work with clickstream data because of how expensive it is. So with free tools, you're getting kind of a small amount of real search queries that people input into Google. And I'm not saying it is bad. So for many, many, many people, free tools is a great start. So they can get a lot of value and they can start getting traffic just by using free keyword research tools. And this will be enough to build some pages to understand what people are searching for. But eventually you're going to hit the ceiling and then you will have to refer to paid tools to go deeper and to find search queries that you won't find in those free tools. So let's talk about a fictional business that is about helping people from Europe or the US uh, to create a business in Singapore. Uh, you guys are based in Singapore. So let's take this fictional example. It probably exists, but let's take this fictional example. And let's say we don't have a lot of visibility online. We want to sell more. We want to attract more people to, to do that. So how do you go about knowing this is what we need to do to knowing the type of topics, the type of keywords that are likely going to move the needle for you? Yeah, so what you just said is you provided me with the so-called seed keywords. And these are Singapore business and maybe things like establish or create uh, or set up. So these are the seed keywords and the seed keywords are used to query our database of search queries to find some relevant keywords. So basically you can find all search queries from our database, which is pretty huge, I think. It's over 5 billion or something. I don't remember exactly, but it's like super huge. So what you can do is you can put keywords like business Singapore and we'll show you all search queries that contain 
uh, both words, business Singapore, or like any, uh, in any order, it could be established business in Singapore, what kind of business you can establish in Singapore. So all the search queries that contain those seed keywords, business in Singapore, will show them to you along with the so-called monthly search volume. This is how many times uh, this uh, specific search query is being entered uh, into Google per month. So this is where keyword research starts. If you know your seed keywords, kind of the, the general ways to search for something, which is in this case, creates a business in Singapore or establish business in Singapore, you can find so many other search queries that contain these words. And this kickstarts your keyword research. You're, you're starting to understand what, what kind of things people are searching for. So now you have your seed keywords, you have a few ideas. What are the core metrics to look at? So you have, you mentioned the so-called search volume for a specific keyword. There's also another one that is important, which is the difficulty or the likelihood that you're going to rank in the first page, right? So what should you look for when you do this type of research? Well, this is a very tricky question about metrics because uh, the, the single best way to do keyword research is to actually look at uh, what kind of pages rank at the top of Google for the keyword uh, that seems uh, interesting to you. So if you find a certain search query that you think you want to target with a page on your website, first thing you need to do is to put it in Google and see what currently ranks there. And if your kind of intent of creating a page matches the pages that already rank there. So this is very important. You, you first need to understand, you, you first need to uh, see uh, if the page you're, you're about to create is similar to the pages that already rank there. In terms of metrics, the two metrics that I uh, pay attention to the most are the total search traffic to those top ranking pages. This is number one uh, metric and it is very interesting because like I said, for any individual keyword that you'll be seeing in those reports that HS or other keyword tool will give you, we show you monthly search volume for this specific keyword. But the pages that will rank for this keyword in Google, they will rank for many, many, many more other similar search queries. So just right now when we were discussing the search query of establishing a business in Singapore, there are so many ways to search for the same thing. So how to establish business in Singapore how to establish business in Singapore in 2018, what are the steps to establishing business in Singapore. So different people will use different search queries, but in essence, they're looking for the same thing and Google is able to understand it. And this is why Google will rank the almost the same pages for a variety of relevant search queries. So other than looking at the search volume of an individual keyword that seems interesting to you, that you kind of want to pursue, you need to look at the total search traffic to the top ranking pages. Uh, in Ahrefs, again, you can do this quite easily because basically within our Keywords Explorer tool, we will pull the top 10 ranking results for the keyword that you're researching and we'll show you the total search traffic as estimated by Ahrefs to those pages. And what's interesting is that you might notice that sometimes uh, keywords that don't have particularly big monthly search volume, the pages that rank at the top for this keyword get a lot of traffic and that is because there are so many other ways uh, to search for this, for this same thing, and they all accumulate into a total traffic. So this is the first thing that I, that I look at, and I do it almost like, not all, actually I do it all the time right now when I do keyword research for our own blog to create content for our own company. And the second metric, like you said, is keyword difficulty. Uh, but so before case, we go into difficulty, I'm going to cut yeah. you there because you said so many sure. interesting things, and I think we need to dive into a bit more. I always thought that looking at search volume for a specific keyword was the only way to go about 
doing keyword research. And only recently, thanks to you and the course, the blogging for business course you did and a few contents, a few stuff I read on your blog uh, and starting to use href way more, did I understand that actually that's a stupid way to think about it because exactly as you said, people are going to search for very different a variety of things that mean the same thing. And Google is smart enough to know that, right? So to be clear, in 2018, the date we're recording this episode, Google is way smarter than you think it is. And so don't try to hack it by thinking that if you say how to start a company in Singapore versus how to start a business in Singapore, you can create two pages with the same content, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, right? This is this, this really the stupidest stuff. But to repeat, I'm not trying to repeat to uh, explain it better. I'm just trying to repeat so that people remember that. Instead of looking at search keywords, you look at the top ranking pages for this keyword and you basically reverse engineer this page. Top one is getting X percent. Uh, this one is getting X. And when you look, what is funny is when you look at the page and what keyword it ranks for, let's say we talk about how to start a business in Singapore, it could be literally thousands of keywords yeah. and topics and it ranks for. And so this is the, truly the power of understanding the semantic behind how people think, not how Google and how to hack Google, right? Yeah, another actually interesting observation. I want to study it soon. I didn't have a chance to study it yet, but what I've noticed by researching many keywords is that the top ranking page for the keyword is not necessarily the page that gets the most traffic. So sometimes the pages that rank uh, lower, they might be getting more traffic just because they cover the topic better. And that is why Google ranks them for more relevant keywords. And the top ranking page, it might be super focused on a specific topic, so it ranks high, but it doesn't have any additional information, so it doesn't uh, generate any additional traffic. So this is why I'm saying that the best thing you could do while doing keyword research is actually research the pages that rank for the keyword that you want to rank for, see like what kind of content they have, see what kind of keywords they rank for and how many keywords they rank for and how much traffic they're getting in total. Yeah, but I was transitioning to keyword difficulty. And from my experience, I can tell that uh, people, when they first see uh, our keyword difficulty metric, they consider it a holy grail of SEO. And they think that uh, this uh, simple two-digit number will now solve all their problems and show them the keywords where they will be able to rank at position number one without any effort at all. But of course, that is not true. You just mentioned yourself that Google is pretty sophisticated. There's a lot of technology. There's billions of dollars behind Google. And there is no way for like for us or anyone else to capture the whole complexity of Google algorithm in the single two-digit number. So 25, yeah, I can rank for this. Like 64, no, I cannot rank for this. No, this is not possible. So in our case, keyword difficulty is a very straightforward metric. It only shows you how many backlinks the top range, the top ranking pages have on average. So it's just a proxy uh, to the link popularity of the top ranking results. So if you see keyword difficulty zero, it means that all top 10 pages that rank in Google for your keyword, they have little to no backlinks, maybe one backlink or two, but most of them... Can you define a backlink for us? Yeah, usually backlink is defined by how many kind of unique pages are linking to a given page. But when I talk about backlinks in the context of keyword difficulty, what I actually mean is how many unique websites are linking to a specific page. Uh, because uh, once you start digging into SEO, you quickly realize that a unique linking website has more value than linking page. Because otherwise, to rank high in Google, all you'll have to do is create a second website, create 1 million pages on that website, and create 1 million links to your website. 
But this doesn't work like that. A link from a unique website will always have, not always, but in general, it has kind of more value than getting second, third, fourth, tenth link from the same website. It is more complicated than that, but still, uh, when researching the top ranking pages and uh, determining your chances of uh, outranking them, you should look at uh, how many links from unique websites they have. This metric, over the years, it has proven to correlate really well uh, with the Google position. So keyword difficulty is basically a proxy to how many backlinks the top ranking pages have. If you see keyword difficulty zero, it means they don't uh, have any back backlinks, which means that your page won't also need any backlinks to rank there or like you will be able to outrank them just by getting a few backlinks. But if you see keyword difficulty, let's say 40, uh, I don't remember what exactly it refers to, but let's say it refers to 200 domains, unique domains on average. We say it in our kind of hint. Uh, we explain what uh, each number, like how it translates into referring domains, into uh, unique linking websites. But yeah, the, the higher uh, the keyword difficulty, the more websites you'll have to uh, persuade to link to your page in order to rank a top 10. So I, I want to go back to the first point, not keyword difficulty, because I think it's a bit easier uh, to understand than, than the first one. And recently, I've made some research about the topic of website optimization, right? And yeah. I wanted to know wanted to know whether we could create a page that around the topic of website optimization. And I already had an idea in mind. So we already had content for it from many different pages. And we said, okay, why, why don't we merge them together to make it a, a guide about website optimization? But by looking at the top 10 ranking pages, what we understood was looking at the nature, the kind of pages that were ranking for, uh, for it, they basically were answering queries from a different angle than we thought. So website optimization for a lot of sites was more about SEO optimization and speed optimization. And only one page out of the 10 was actually mentioned what we wanted to say, which was more about how to optimize your website for users and mm. how to understand your users, basically conversion rate optimization. And so yeah. by just looking at the top 10, what is ranking and the type of things that people search for and the type of page that's a ranking, I understood that the, the topic wasn't necessarily the right one. What I thought was a website of optimization was in fact not what was, what people were searching for. So, I'm going back to that because this is also a critical aspect of, of SEO. It's not blankly just looking at keywords and thinking, let's write something about it. It's also about trying to reverse engineer what people have in their head when they search for something, right? Yeah, so you're touching a very interesting topic and a very deep. It also goes back to how Google algorithm works and how it picks pages that should rank. Uh, because obviously the, the number of links or the number of linking websites uh, or how many times you use a specific keyword on your page are not the only uh, ranking factors. Otherwise, like uh, it would be like super easier to, ga to game Google. And I don't think that any Google representative ever con confirmed this. Uh, but in the SEO industry, there's a like strong suspicion uh, that Google is using behavioral factors to determine which pages should rank higher and which pages should get lower. Especially when the search query gets uh, kind of enough traffic. So if uh, there's a popular search query, let's say it's get it's getting searched like 40,000 times per month, and that's just one search query, not not counting all the relevant search queries that, that mean the same thing, which means that Google has enough data, it has enough traffic to see how people behave when they click on the relevant pages for the search query. What we see today is that uh, for popular search queries, 
uh, Google kind of pay attention to how people behave. So like you said, if people were expecting for website optimization, if they were expecting to see some SEO tutorials, uh, and your tutorial will rank that there, and they will click it, they will realize that, that 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 is not what they were looking for. They will bounce, click something else, and stay there. So Google might see this kind of stuff, uh, but that is mostly for popular search queries. If you're targeting less popular search queries that get, like, let's say, less than a 1,000 searches per month, in my experience, like from what I saw, Google doesn't rely on the behavioral data that much because they don't have enough of it. So they cannot like make a good assumption on what's happening there. Different signals play a role there. But again, from my experience, what I saw is that Google is actively testing. So they have a lot of, I don't know, topic modeling algorithms, like understanding what the page is about. They basically trying to create artificial intelligence that would read pages and basically understand what they're about and all that like sophisticated technology. So what I see is that Google will often, like you said, when there's a set of top 10 ranking pages and all of them have a specific intent, uh, but there's kind of another angle to look at the, at this search query. What I see is that Google will often try to put the page that is not aligned with all other pages into top 10, get some kind of traffic for it, get people to click for it, and Google will observe how people be behave. So that is interesting, and I think um, I saw a video, uh, it was created by Brian Dean. If I am correct, he said that he had um, an article, how to get high-quality backlinks, how to get, high, yeah, I think it was it, was it how to get high-quality backlinks. And what he noticed is that this page, uh, for a few days, it ranked for the search query, how to get high. Because it has how to get high-quality backlinks. And so Google thought, maybe this page is relevant to how to get high. So Google started showing this page to people searching for how to get high. But then Google realized that this is not what these people were looking for. So the page dropped. And I think uh, Brian Dean mentioned this kind of uh, case uh, in his video, which was quite fun. So yeah, uh, what I'm trying to say is that even if the top-ranking pages are not aligned with uh, the... Uh, with the angle that you have in mind, sometimes it still makes sense for you to create a page around this angle because some people may be actually looking for for your angle. And if Google, once Google will put you there among the top ranking pages and people will click and people will stay, you'll, your page can stay in the top 10 ranking results. So, but but this is a gamble. You never know like what the majority of people want when they search for something. This is an interesting topic because I'm trying to go back to the always to the same point that it's all about understanding your people and understanding your users and, and give them the best answer you can. And Google is getting smarter and knows that now uh, and know, known that for a while. So even let's say you want to hack like your like get into the first page by just displaying a page that is a bunch of nonsense because you know the volume is not that high. Therefore, Google is not going to have a lot of behavioral data for it. And you're just trying to rank for it because you can just rank for it. It's a shitty thing to do anyway, because you're not going to answer people's requests, right? And so yeah. if you're not clear about, I would say, a topic or, or stuff like that, I think it would be, if you don't have a lot of data and interviewing people, talking to them directly, understanding, you know, what do you understand by website optimization? Maybe reverse engineering that would probably help you way more uh, than trying to hack anything out of Google. Because as we mentioned many times now, it's not a stupid company. They are extremely sophisticated. They're working on stuff you wouldn't imagine are, are possible. So let's not try hack it and let's try to just to understand people a bit better. 
Yeah. So difficulty, and you, we were starting to talk about the, the, the topic of difficulty, which in, in, in HRF world, in, in your world is really tied to backlinks. And this is a super interesting topic because I also thought that backlinking and getting links from other was dead as well, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's something that's kind of shitty subject you read a lot online. So is it, is it dead? No, of course it is not. Like, let's say you're Google. And let's say you have 100 pages uh, about exactly the same thing. And let's say that all of these pages are kind of equally cool. So let's say it's not some kind of sophisticated topic like rocket science, uh, where like uh, some people know it better and other people uh, don't know it so well. But let's say it's the topic of productivity. Like almost anyone can write an article about productivity. You can write like your productivity tips, routines. I can write my productivity routines. So let's say you're Google and you have 100 pages about productivity. How do you kind of adequately know which of them are better and which of them are worse? You need some signals, right? And especially when you don't have, like, like we just explained, when you don't have this behavioral data. And to get a behavioral data even to 100 pages, this means that you should at any, like at some point in time, you should send traffic to all of these 100 pages to rank them in, in your top 10 so that people will find them and go to them. And some of these pages might be shitty. So as a search engine, you might doing people a disservice by showing them shitty pages. So even before you get this behavioral data, you already need to know that the page is worth ranking in top 10 and is worth receiving, receiving traffic. Otherwise, your search results would be shitty if all the time you'll be testing uh, if page like uh, is uh, if page deserves to rank there based on behavioral factors. So the best signal you have is links from other websites. If other website owners found this article and in, if they thought that it's cool, it's great, it deserves mentioning, they would link to it. And basically, this, this concept comes from from the very beginnings of Google, where uh, the two founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin. Uh, they were, I think they were studying at Harvard and they were like doing some, uh, I don't know, maybe it was, they were creating the search engine and they took this principle of counting backlinks from research papers. So what happens in research papers, when you do some kind of research, you, uh, you kind of build it on top of research that other people did, right? You have those like different concepts in physics that were studied by, some, by someone else. And what they noticed is that certain research studies get mentioned by other research studies more, more often, which means these research studies are kind of more fundamental. If, if there's more work done on top of these research studies, then these research studies have more impact. So similar to kind of looking at how many times a certain research study gets quoted in other research studies to grade its importance, they started grading the importance of pages based on which other pages are linking to them. This realization, this concept, it is so simple, uh, but like it basically stands behind Google as a like multi-billion company that it is today. So they took this concept and they they built a search engine on top of it that provided much much better results than any of the search engines that existed at the time that that, that were trying to read pages, uh, look at how many times keywords are mentioned, uh, look at the uh, other like synonyms and all that stuff. Uh, and this principle uh, is still at the foundation of Google. Uh, and all the time, Google representatives get asked the question like, 
name your biggest ranking factors or do do you still uh, can you still confirm that links play a role in rankings and they always say yes because there's just no better way to rank pages of course they there are many more factors that they use other than links but this is like so fundamental but this is the closest exactly as you said this is the fundamental this is the closest google found to the actual nature of relationships between humans right i mean if 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 you are someone that people look up to uh, team you're likely to have a lot of people who 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 follow you or subscribe to the newsletter who who want to talk to you at conferences invite you at conferences so you would attract naturally a lot of links in a sense a lot of people like following you and stuff and citing yeah. you uh when they speak at conferences so it's just relationship building 101 this is how influence works which is one of the core principle of persuasion and this is how people are you know, considering the importance of someone versus someone else. And so this makes total sense that Google tried to do the same online. And anyone thinking that this is dead, that like link building and backlinks don't count anymore and all of that are really insane because they need to, to remember the, the basic fundamentals of relationship building. So I'm glad you said that. I actually didn't know this story. That's quite interesting. There's something I want to touch on. We haven't really talked about that be before getting into this interview, but you're an expert in this topic as well. And that connects to backlinks. So there is a, you have a fundamental belief about, yes, you can write super interesting articles. Yes, you can really optimize them for SEO, making sure that they are good, making sure that people who would find them would, would really like them. But Getting backlinks, uh, if you don't have a lot of paid budget, is actually, uh, and not a big community, is actually really tough, right? I mean, it's like praying for rain to come when you when you start dancing and the sun is shining, right? So how do you how do you go about trying to get some backlinks in an ethical, non-aggressive manner? Uh, yeah. So the way kind of Google wants you to to get backlinks is by acquiring them naturally, where some people would uh, read your content, would visit your page, and they would decide that uh, they want to link to this page from their website, and the link will just appear by itself. Uh, but this is kind of chicken and egg problem because if you don't have have backlinks, you don't rank in Google. If you don't rank in Google. Uh, you don't really get any traffic because there are not so many different traffic sources other that, that are capable of sending you as much traffic as Google. And if you don't get traffic, how would people link to you? So this is kind of chicken and egg problem. Uh, so the best way to, to get backlinks uh, while you don't have traffic, like you said, while you don't have community of people who read your content, is to reach out, is to reach out to people in your industry who have websites because you don't want to reach out to people who don't have websites because they won't be able to link to you. So uh, whatever industry you're in, uh, there are probably other websites that are related to your industry and probably they're even mentioning your competitors already. So you could reach out to them and show them what you have. You can show them uh, your product. You can show them your content. You can show them even, I don't know, your website and, and how like uh, easy and uh, user-friendly it is, whatever. Uh, so yeah, the, if you don't have traffic or if you don't have budget to promote your content, to put it in front of a lot of people with the chance that some of these people will later uh, mention it somewhere, be it on forums or on their own website, uh, the best thing you can do is just reach out to people in your industry with websites, uh, show them whatever you have there and see if you will be able to persuade them to put a link to you. So we know, uh, I know there's many ways to, to go about identifying the right people. Uh, so perhaps uh, together what we can, what you can do is pick maybe your favorite one, the, the very specific way to identify the right people 
and how you, you would like to reach out. Uh, so there's many ways you explain in your course, a few ways you also explain on, on, uh, on the HRF blog, but perhaps, yes, you can pick the, your favorite one and we can go in depth about it. Yeah, so I think the probably the most effective way uh, would be, I'm sorry, I have to plug HRFs because I don't really know any other tool that would do that. So we have this tool, it's called Content Explorer, and basically we crawl the entire web to collect a database of pages with content, uh, and I think we just recently surpassed 1 billion pages. So what you can do is you can kind of query this database and request uh, to receive a list of pages that mention a specific keyword. So let's go back to the example of building a business in Singapore. So uh, in this case, I want to know all pages from all around the web uh, that mention business in Singapore or, or Singapore business or any other variations. So if a page mentions business in Singapore or Singapore business, it means that this page is somehow connected to my topic, to my website, to what I'm trying to uh, build and promote. And probably the entire website, not just this page, is somehow to, somehow related to this, which, may, uh, which means that it makes sense for me to reach out to the owner of this website. First of all, I need to actually open the page, read the article and see what kind of context uh, business in Singapore was mentioned in because there are like a ton of angles of how this can be used in a sentence. Uh, but still, using Hrefs, you can quickly export, I don't know, thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of pages that come from unique websites uh, that mention business in Singapore or whatever a keyword uh, related to your industry people might use when they publish pages online. And from there, you just research, like find contact information of these websites, uh, try to understand in which context they, in which context they were mentioning uh, your keyword, and if it makes sense to you to reach out to them and introduce yourself. Uh, this is the very best way that I know, because you basically you find, you find pages and you find websites that are already mentioning your industry, they, they are already mentioning whatever you do. So all you need to do is connect with them, introduce yourself, show them what you have. And then it depends on, on the thing that you have. If you, if you want to promote your service or your product, your product should be good. Otherwise, they, they won't care. If you're trying to build links to a piece of content, the piece of content should be amazing. Otherwise, they won't care. So if you do this and it won't work, don't say that uh, Tim lied to me, this doesn't work. First, look at your content and look at your product. Uh, if it is superior to any other alternatives, it should work like a charm. If it lags behind uh, whatever is there already, uh, this strategy won't work. Yeah, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I receive, surprisingly enough, a lot of, a lot of link requests. And most of the time <laughs> it goes as this, uh, hi Louis, I just stumbled upon this amazing article, which is basically yeah. a link to one of my interviews. So first of all, you know that they haven't read it. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned uh, Moz in there. I was wondering if you could also link to href. That's the type yeah. of stuff, right? <laughs> but like, I didn't mention it. My guests mentioned it, right? Yeah. So I'm not gonna fucking replace what you said and replace it with someone something else because you said it, it anyway. It just proves that nobody reads uh, read it. So what uh, I, I'm gonna steal a bit of tips from like from your knowledge. I, we've used this tactic a few times already. Um, if you have an angle that is unique, so let's say talking about website optimization again, or the business in Singapore, let's say you have a way to create a business in Singapore or a structure a process that is different from all of the other pages, uh, out there, like the top 10, 
then this is a very good way for an outreach to say, hey, you know, I've read your article, you mentioned that, but actually, what if I told you there's an actual completely way, uh, new way or different way that you haven't mentioned, yeah. and here it is. So that works really well. Don't try, I mean, from experience, don't try to outrank or try to contact with someone with just, as you said, a shitty piece of content that doesn't offer any different value. So from your experience, apart from this angle of, you know, this is a new angle, this is something new, what is works really well to introduce a concept to someone else? Yeah, first of all, I enjoy how you said uh, that people don't read, uh, that you see that people don't haven't read your article just by referring to it as article while it was an interview. So this is very like, it should be very insightful to people who are listening to us right now. So yeah, the, 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 my best tip is to actually go and study the page and make sure you you will write a relevant personalized email because uh, this will increase your chances of acquiring a backlink like, I don't know, tenfold because you will find the way to pitch your backlink based on what you've just read. Uh, I also like have you mentioned, and basically I mentioned the two, that uh, whatever you're offering, uh, it should be relevant to the person that you're reaching out. Uh, and uh, like I said, it should be better, but like uh, you mentioned, it doesn't necessarily need to be better, uh, but it should be kind of different. Uh, and the, the bottom line is that whether different or whether better, it should be interesting to the person that you're reaching out to. So it should be relevant to the person that you're reaching out to. Uh, and again, let's be honest, uh, people, uh, like, life gets in the way. So even if what you have is, like, it's super amazing, it's better than everything else, it has a unique angle and blah, 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 and it is super relevant and you've read the page and you wrote, wrote like, super personalized email and you send this email and no one is replying to you, like, don't get upset about it. The, the person might be in the hospital or whatever. They, they might be having their own problems and like your email is what they care about least of like uh, from any other things in the world. So you should prepare yourself that the kind of the success rate would be quite low, even if you try super hard and it is okay. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you should give up like after sending 10 requests and not receiving any reply or not receiving any backlinks. And in terms of how our own content marketing team here at Hrefs uh, does outreach, we don't even request links. So our goal, the goal uh, of the outreach emails that we write, is to genuinely make a person on the kind of other side of the screen interested in what we have. So if the person will click our link and will at least skim through our article, we consider it a success. Because later, that person might not link to us right away. And of course, this person uh, is highly unlikely to go and update their page and put uh, our link there to that specific page. Uh, but if they got interested in what we did, if they kind of uh, consumed even a little bit of that article, they might mention it going forward. And what we see is that uh, people are linking to us in three months after we reached out to them, in six months after they reached out to them. Because by reaching out to them and by showing them something interesting, we put ourselves on their radar. And they might not even link to that that thing that you showed them. They might start following you or or they might see another thing from you uh, on Twitter and they might recognize that you've reached out to them before and you so you have a track record of publishing awesome stuff, which, which makes you worth a mention on their website. So yeah, it's all about uh, being natural. It's all about being genuine. It's all about investing your time into making it personalized and studying the person that you're reaching out to and making your outreach request interesting for them. 
Because a lot of people, all they care about is themselves. And they start your email with like, can I get a backlink from you? Of course not. Make it interesting for the person who is receiving your email. That's the trick. Another thing I want to share, because I, I, you haven't mentioned that in the course, but I think you're doing that as well during your outreach, is instead of going for the kill straight away, is exactly the same that all the stuff we mentioned before. It's building a relationship. So I would reach out to you and I would say, for example, I didn't reach out to you and say directly, can you book a time that suits you in my calendar <laughs> for the interview? So I first yeah. sent you a quick email uh, about what it was about, ask you if you're interested, and then would I send you the invite? Very same, I think, for the for our outreach. Let's say you identify someone who talked about uh, how to start a business in Singapore, and you've identified an angle, something else that would that would add value to this topic. I would probably try if you've never contacted this person to just say, "Hey, very well done in this article. Uh, there is another thing that I think you might be interested. In. Can I send it to you?" And sometimes just the little reply that, like the yes that they say gives you the, the right then to ask for something a bit more saying, okay, here's the article. If you find it interesting, maybe it would be nice if you could link to it in the next, in the future. And I found that this is something that works well, which is kind of the foot in the door principle. So starting with something very small, just, you just ask them to reply to this email and then you can create a relationship. Now it takes more time, but that's what it is, right? That's what it takes. To be honest, I've heard about that strategy and uh, it was being popularized and mentioned by many, many people just as any new strategy, like every kind of influencer and every uh, person who needs to impress uh, their audience with new hacks uh, is always on, a, on the lookout of kind of new tactics, new strategies. And this was the, the next best thing in outreach. And to be honest, I don't really buy it. So sometimes uh, I get emails with this kind of trick, like, I have this thing, can I send it to you? I just like click delete on this email, so I don't care. So I might offer a variation of this foot in the door principle because there is foot in the door principle. I think it comes from uh, probably Robert Cialdini's book where you like uh, ask for a small commitment before asking for a bigger commitment. So yeah, what I would do if you don't want to send the link because I think the 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 bottom line, the goal of uh, can I send it to you question is so that you won't include the link in your email because uh, uh, as far as I know, uh, emails with links, uh, they have a better chance of going to the spam folder of the person uh, who will receive the email. So this is why you want to send, to send plain text emails and avoid links because the possibility of a person uh, receiving it in their inbox and not spam folder increases. So what I would offer instead is don't send the link to your article. Give them a quick recap uh, of like what you wanted to say. So uh, if we're discussing business in Singapore and you stumble upon an article with uh, steps on uh, registering a business and you know like uh, for example you know a company that does this like for that does it for peanuts for just like a few dollars. You can reach out to this person and say like, hey, did you know like this company uh, does it for this kind of money and you can actually register the business like while being in another country, blah, blah, blah. And don't include any links. Just give this person an information, something interesting and see if they will be interested, if they will reply, like even if they will reply, thanks, I didn't know that or thanks, I did know that, but I didn't include it in the article because this and this. And then you can follow up. I actually have like a whole resource about starting a business in Singapore. Uh, and like here are like my most interesting articles. 
So you have this foot in the door by saying something interesting to them, but by making them reply. And they reply not because you ask, like, do you want to see my page? And they should say, yes. Like, uh, imagine you're, like, reaching out to Gary Vaynerchuk and you're saying to him, Gary, do you want to see my page? He doesn't care about your page. Like, uh, he couldn't care less about your page. But if you say, like, Gary, so... Uh, I've uh, watched interview with, let's say, Tony Robbins, and he said that you're the the most awful person in the world. This maybe Gary would read and reply, like you can tell Tony to go. Uh, let's not swear on your podcast. So yeah, I would suggest people to just uh, reach out and write an interesting email that would prompt a person to reply, and from there you can establish a relationship with them and show them your product, your website, your pages, your content, or whatever you wanted to show them. But Tim, uh, thanks so much for going through this long step-by-step uh, -step process with me. I think listeners would learn, learn a lot from that. I know I did, uh, and I thought I knew a few bits about keyword research, but I clearly didn't. Uh, so uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people will reach out to you, and I'll ask you for more details about how they can contact you if they have any questions. But before that, I have always uh, three questions I ask at the end of uh, each interview. And the first one being, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years or 50 years? Oh, they should learn to figure out how to solve problems. Whatever you need to do, whatever problem you have, you just have to figure it out. You need to Google, you need to talk to people, you need to try things and figure out what works and what doesn't. So this is the most important skill because technology changes, tactics change, uh, the perception of audiences change. And uh, like as a marketer, like my uh, at least my day to day job is figuring stuff out, figuring out how this works, figuring out how that works. So I think this is the most important skill to be to be able to figure out things that you didn't know anything about before. What are the top three resources you recommend our listeners? Could be anything like a podcast, a book, a course, a software. Okay, so there's an app called, uh, I, I believe it's called Blinklist. And what they do is they do recaps, short recaps of books. It is a paid app, but it is pretty cool because you can uh, read these recaps. They have text version or they have audio version. And basically, uh, you can quite quickly go through a lot of uh, interesting books in just little time. So this is a great resource to, to learn from books. And in terms of podcasts or anything else, I actually I don't know what to suggest because it would be like super specific to every individual, like where they at at their like with their business, with their marketing, with their product. So I, I would refrain from recommending any specific resources because I'm afraid they won't be relevant. Just just follow a few specific people that are at the stage where you want to be with your business or with your personal brand or in life or whatever, and see what these people are sharing with their audience. I think this is the best way to get some nice resources. I'm going to add two resources to, uh, to that because you're too, you're too nice to, to not mention yours. But <laughs> I would definitely, I vouch for blogging for business, the course you did. And I'm not paid to do that. Once again, I'm not getting any money from you from saying this. I genuinely really enjoyed it and learned a lot. It's very practical. So I would recommend listeners to go through it. And the, the okay, third one... Okay, wait, can, can I yeah. stop you right here? Uh, because the, the course is paid and it costs quite, quite a lot of money. So what I suggest is that uh, I can give out... Uh, 10 free copies. And what people need to do is they need to tweet some takeaway from our today's conversation. Let's say till the when when the podcast will be aired. Uh, quite in, in a few weeks. So I need to we need to decide the date. But anyway, when they listen to this episode right now, what do they need to do then? 
they need to tweet any takeaway that they enjoyed from our conversation and they need to include myself and yourself in a tweet so that we would see their tweet actually. Uh, and then I will pick 10 people, uh, almost at random, the, if I like their tweet or not. I mean, I'm saying almost at random because I don't want them to like sing praises to me or whatever. So even they will say that I am totally wrong on something, I still can pick their tweet because it's interesting. So what's your uh, yeah. Twitter handle? Team Solo. Um, uh, I think you you will just include it maybe in the show notes or whatever. Yeah, but they might they might just listen on the phone and they might not check the show notes. So Team Solo is, is yours and mine is Louis Slices, uh, which is a bit odd, but probably people know that. Or, or everyone hates marketers, you can find it. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a nice offer of you. I'm pretty sure more than 10 people will, will do that. I mean, they do because it's worth quite... How much is it? How much is the course? Almost $800. Yeah, but it, it's worth the money. So, And I agree, a lot of listeners might not be able to afford it because they might not work for a business that can pay for that. So I think it's a very nice offer to have a $800, $800 very practical course for free. So all you have to do is tweet at us and uh, and we'll, uh, we'll get it sorted. Team will get it sorted. Uh, so once again, Tim, thanks so much uh, for your time. Apart from Twitter, is there any other way you want people to reach out or are you happy with Twitter? There's a page at hrefs.com dedicated to me, and it is uh, ahrefs.com, hrefs.com slash team, T-I-M, uh, which is my name. And there I have uh, a listing of like my best articles. I have all my social profiles there. And I also put links to all uh, interviews uh, that I do. So uh, the link to your show will also appear there. <laughs> You're getting yourself a link from hrefs Woo! by interviewing me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if anyone wants to, to learn more from me, to read best of my content or wants to follow me on any of the social channels and see what I tweet or share on Facebook, uh, you can find all information about me at hrefs.com slash T-I-M. Perfect, Tim. Thanks so much. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. 
Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.